Welcome to the Styano Plastic Surgery Podcast with plastic surgeon JJ Styano, the only plastic surgeon in the UK who owns a clinic specializing in breast and body contouring. And I, I is here. Who am I? That's who I am. That's who this guy is, right? There, right there. Um, Jonathan Stiano, consultant plastic surgeon. Well, used to be, used to be a surgeon. Used to do operations back in the days. Remember, do you remember when they used to see people in, in you know, in person? Do you remember that? Um, yeah. That well, back in the day, I used to do operations i'm now a uh social media influencer and uh yeah so uh spend my time um engaging with uh with my my people so um i'm just going to assume the audio is working i'm just assuming that you know i'm sure if it wasn't the chat look at that the chat is kicking right off dawn hi Olivia, so uh, good to see you. Hey, fever season is here, right? You are here, yay. You are here, yay. Okay, good one. Hey, hello, laughing. So I'm assuming it's, you would tell me. You would tell me if it wasn't working. Um, so, um, yeah, uh, Jonathan Stano, ex-plastic surgeon here. <laughs> um, no, I'll tell you something. Actually, we are in the process of putting together protocols and uh, what have you ready for the reboot. And, uh, you know, we are re ready to go. And we are, oh, look, Catherine, Catherine's here. Catherine McLeod. Hmm? Catherine McLeod is in the house. Who's Catherine McLeod? I know who Catherine McLeod is. Right. Hi, Catherine. Nice to see you. I don't know if this is relevant for you, but you can pop in and, yeah, you can, um, you can that's enough now Catherine you don't have to see anymore it's all like questions it'll be boring for you um good loud and clear is working as it always is because I'm a pro right I'm a pro and I know what I'm doing it's plugged in I know where it is um I hope you're staying so not too bad. I'm not bored at all I wish I was bored I got a wooden I got a wooden motorbike thing for my birthday like that you put together it's impossible it's very very hard uh, to put together but I'm nowhere near. I'm just all in pieces back there. Um, I want to sit down. I did actually read my book today. I said to my, I'm going to go and read my book. So I went and read my book for a bit of time. But I'm not I'm not having as much. I tell you, when this lockdown gets lifted, I'll be like, what? Already? I've got stuff to do. I plan to well, clear the office for a start. I mean, I can see. I mean, look at that shelf there. I mean, what's going on there? It's a seat. I mean, what is? I mean, that key. Oh my god, that's key. Oh my god, keep my parents. They sold that house. We've got the. This is the um, software for the fax. Fax software. This is the rotor zip spiral saw CD. I mean, come on. What else? CD stomper. Oh, God. I mean, 
it needs a sort out, doesn't it, really? I mean, this needs a sort out as well. Is this really necessary, this big one? Anyway, um, so I've got a lot to, still to do. There's still a lot to do. And uh, that is on the list, definitely. Uh, what else I want to do oh, on dark is I want to get, I've seen, um, I've seen uh, fellow colleague influencers, you know, we all get together, um, you know, all the social media influencers, we sort of like a bit of a team and uh, they've got a TV, I don't see they've got a TV, big TV behind them with like just a, uh, like their logo on it or something getting, so I, it's up there, I'm thinking, yeah, big TV behind me with like a logo or something. Um, I've got ideas. But yeah, so I'm, I'm not bored. I've got a lot, lot on. Um, I'm a, look at that. We're straight in with a question. Hold on a minute. That is that the same as my foot? No, I've got a different. I've got a different. Dawn, you asked a question that I've got from someone else. That's good. Um, how many TikToks have you done? Are you famous yet, Gemma? I've done two TikToks. And uh, no, I haven't. I haven't uh, ventured into the TikTok arena <laughs> since since last week, actually. So that's that just shows. But you're right. I've got to get on it. I've got to get you know making content. Um, so look at that, Dawn. Not Dawn's not messing about, guys. Let's cut with the chit chat because Dawn's going to get straight into this. Could a diastasis hernia be fixed using a muscle graft? A muscle graft. What's a muscle graft? Um, so. I've got, I've got a question about that. Well, I'll answer that question, then I'll do my one. Um, well, I don't, know, I don't know what a muscle graft is, Dawn. Uh, a muscle graft. I don't... I don't. Do you mean... What do you mean, muscle graft? Uh, so, a diastasis hernia could be fixed. So, so just, just maybe perhaps I'll ignore the second part of the question. Um, that's what I should. If I was a proper politician, I'd be just glossed over it. So, muscle, yes, yes, diastasis. So, hold on a minute, diastasis hernia. So, basically, let's get this. Let's get this terminology. Let's get this clear. A person who needs a tummy tuck it has usually had something that has stretched their tummy and that something is usually either a child as in been pregnant or multiple pregnancies or being overweight putting on weight and then losing weight so that stretch when you put on weight and lose weight or have a pregnancy stretches everything and the rectus muscles the six-pack muscles which are two muscles side by side get stretched apart and don't really come back together properly and leave a weakness between those two muscles which are normally at the front of your abdomen you know your six pack like right at the front there but if you've been, if they've been stretched they can be a bit stretched apart and you can get a bulge between them and that bulge is apparent if you lift your head and shoulders up off the, off the bed if you're lying flat on your back or if you lift your legs up straight leg raise you can sometimes feel a bulge above your belly button um, in that bit of abdomen, there's a bulge there. And that is known as diastasis of the recti um, muscles. So it's one is a rectus muscle and two is recti. So diastasis of the recti is that. Now, sometimes when you feel a bulge in the abdominal wall, you think it's a hernia. A hernia is, I don't know if you need to know this, I'm getting a bit technical, but anyway, a hernia is a defect in the abdominal wall. So instead of having a nice crisp abdominal wall, if you have a hole in that abdominal wall, which could be congenital, i.e. you could be born with it, 
usually inguinal down in your groin, um, or it could be acquired. You could have had surgery where they could have repaired the, 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 the they could have cut through the abdominal wall and then stitched it together, and then it could have come apart or whatever. Um, but for whatever reason, there's a basically a defect or a hole in the abdominal wall, and you have abdominal contents poking through that hole, causing a hernia. So a strict hernia is a defect in the abdominal wall causing a bulge. It looks the same from the outside because it looks like a bulge, but a diastasis is not strictly speaking a hernia. Don't know if you needed to know all that information. So a diastasis looks like a hernia, but it's not a hernia because the abdominal wall is actually intact. It's just weak, causing a bulge. Anyway, so <laughs> anyway, that's what diastasis is. So it's it's not uncommon for people having a tummy tuck, and it is an integral part of a tummy tuck or of a full tummy tuck, not a mini, but of a full tummy tuck. Uh, repairing that weakness is an integral part of the surgery and what it involves is using some uh, heavy sutures to bring those muscles together to repair the hernia not really repairing the hernia but you know repair a bulge getting rid of the bulge repairing the diastasis or diverification is the other word get some fancy words in there diverification of the recti or diastasis of the recti it's the recti muscles are too uh, far apart and you bring them together part of a uh, a, uh, a, a oh god I've got please comment and short share down there sorry about that uh, part of a integral part of a uh, although do please do comment and share has it gone there oh, there all right just don't forget please comment and share that's what we YouTubers do okay although this is on Facebook but still you know it's still a video platform um, so. Um, so could a diastasis hernia be fixed? So could a diastasis of the exercise? Yes, it could be fixed. Now, I don't even know a muscle graft. Again, strictly speaking, a graft is moving tissue from one place to another place. So you can do a skin graft, you can do a corneal graft, uh, you can do a fat graft. Um, you tend not to do muscle grafts. I'm trying to think where you do a muscle graft. You might do a muscle flap. With, well, anyway, anyway, where you take a bit of muscle with its blood supply and move it to somewhere else. But that's hardcore surgery, and I don't think it is a thing personally so i don't know what you mean by muscle graft uh would i uh spot i'm just looking at my question um you can sometimes if there is a big defect in the abdominal wall you can use a you, you would usually use a prosthetic like a um a something off the shelf something out of a packet to 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 to, to uh, uh shore up the repair like a patch which would usually, which would often be either, well, it could be nylon, could be a, 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 a synthetic, or it could be a um, natural, like a, 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 a dermal piece of tissue. Anyway, you could use something to, to patch it up, but you normally don't, which I think might be what you're talking about, a, a muscle graft. Um, people use these um, uh, dermal templates, these things that you can put over to, to shore it up. They're quite expensive. And then for a straightforward diastasis of the recti, you probably wouldn't need that. If it was a proper hernia, you might need that. Whew, am I? Oh, God. Sorry, the chat has kicked off. Uh, wait a minute. Get that shell cleared. Sort it out. I think you may have sort of anything else. If you're having, if, if, if you was having an abdominoplasty, considering you couldn't do it yourself, who would you recommend? What do you mean? If I was having a concern? Why can't I do it myself? I can do it, Dawn. It's just I'm locked down. You're talking about Lawn. Do you want, do you want, me, to, do you want me to 
recommend someone else. But I do recommend people go close to home. So wherever you live, where do you live, Dawn? I can tell you if you live somewhere far away from me, but if you live next to me, I can't recommend anyone better. <laughs> no, there's lots of good people. I'll tell you who I'd recommend, Dawn. Look for uh, BARPS, B-A-A-P-S. Um, look for FRC, which is a British association of aesthetic plastic surgeons they've got a list of surgeons and they're, 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 they're proper plastic surgeons there there's quite a lot of people on the barps in in the barps and uh you probably you know you're probably all right bapras is the other one b-a-p-r-a-s so uh and if you look for frcs plast after the name those are basically uh take homes if you're looking for someone to do a tummy tuck um i'm still waiting for carol baskin yeah that was on the instagram not on instagram that was on the TikTok, wasn't it TikTok. Tic Tac, look at that, what an amateur, I just call it Tic Tac. Oh dear, old man. Uh, won't follow you back on Tic Tac neither. Talk. <laughs> oh, you're not gonna follow me back. Oh God, you're getting into talk, I don't know about. Taking a graph from your leg muscle as patches don't work. Um, Dawn, this is new to me, I'm sorry, I'm out now. I'm gonna declare myself out on this question. Taking a graph from your leg muscle to your abdomen. Um, I'm out on that. Tess, we spoke last week. I changed my profile. I'm the one with nine children. Um, yeah, but do I need muscle repair then? Does every tummy tuck have muscle repair? No, not every tummy tuck, Olivia. I would say a large major a large number of them, um, but not every single one. But I wouldn't worry about it too much because it's just something we do as part integral part of it. Now, I mean, if you're female. So... Um, Dawn, I'm not familiar with taking a muscle from your leg and putting it as a patch on your abdomen. That is not a technique I'm familiar with. And to be honest, I would look into it, Dawn. And I think you've got to be a bit careful if you've got someone who's doing it and they're like, I'm the only one doing it. I, did I speak like this? I spoke about this someone. Was it? I can't remember. But I'm the only one doing it. I'm, you know, the only one in the world, blah, blah. You've got to think, well, why doesn't everyone else do it if it's so good? And it might be that it's a bit of a dubious thing to do. To be honest with you, Dawn, it sounds a bit dubious. I've got to be honest. Next week, it could be the next big thing. I will all be doing it and I will um, I will eat my hat or eat my words. But at the moment, I'm not entirely convinced that taking a bit of muscle from your leg and putting it in your abdomen to repair. Because to be honest, muscle is not a good thing to repair uh, the abdominal wall with. The problem is not the muscle. The muscle's fine is the thick fascia, we call it, over the top of the muscle. So taking a piece of fascia, doing a fascial graft, maybe, um, but it's the, it's the, it's the firm, non-forgiving white covering over muscles, which is called fascia, which is how you um, repair muscle, uh, hernias. So, um, so it wouldn't be muscle, but... Um, not sure, Dawn. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just... Uh, thanks anyway. Well, that's a bit of a like, yeah. Mm. Sorry, Dawn. Well, I'll let you down. Oh, mm, dear. Um, I've got, I got a question. Oh, God, I had it a minute ago. Here we go. I've got a question on a similar vein. Similar vein, but this one I might be able to answer. Um, I had a C-section three months ago and also have a small hernia above my belly button. Would this be addressed with a tummy tuck? So, <clears throat> so the answer to that is yes, as long as it's a small hernia. So it's not uncommon. Sometimes we find them incidentally. You find a little, again, this is a proper hernia, a little defect in the abdominal wall. 
usually around the belly belly button, a periumbilical hernia, little defect in the abdominal wall, and they're very easy just to stitch up, just to close, and then do the uh, the, the um, repair of the divarification of the recti over the top of it. So that is uh, not uncommon to repair a small hernia. Now, if you've got a big hernia, then you've got to think, am I going to be able to stitch it together? Because if you're not able to stitch together, that's when you get into using meshes and these other things that you sort of patch on top but certainly a small hernia could be addressed at the time of a tummy tuck and as i say sometimes incidentally we just find one and uh it's not a problem for it to repair a small one absolutely not dp can say how do you decide if a hernia can be repaired by stitching together or needs mesh size it's size so uh if it's literally small small ones then uh they can be repaired and most of the ones slash all of the ones that I can think of that you encounter can be repaired directly. Uh, you would only use mesh for a proper hernia, for a person who's got a hernia, uh, which you would be able to diagnose clinically preoptively because we always assess your uh, rectus muscles and the abdominal wall um, before we do a tummy tuck. So if, you, if you've got a hernia, then that will be a different kettle of fish. And that would be something that we, we would... You, you would hope that we would be able to sort of notice preoptively. And if it's a even a smaller hernia, you, you might be able to repair directly. Um, but certainly anything of any size, then you would think about using a, a, a mesh. Um, but that's a good question, uh, Deepika. That is a good question. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's size, basically. Nikki's in the house. If I had a mesh repair in 2007 to an umbilical hernia, would that affect having a tummy tuck with a muscle repair? No, it's all hernia talk. It is. It's hernia talk. That's all right. It's all right. Um, no, 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 it wouldn't. I mean, um, if you someone asked something about this, was it last week? If you had like a big mesh there, then it might restrict your ability to get a good repair of that uh, diverification uh, because it might splint the tissues a bit, but they don't come together very easily if there's a big because a mesh basically. Um, Gets, gets populated with scar tissue. So you'd have a big block of scar, which would be how your hernia was, it would be repaired. And it might make us more make it more difficult for us to give you a good uh, repair of your diverification. So it could still be done without affect having a tummy tuck. So it could still be done. I mean, it might, as I say, it might make it a bit more difficult for us to bring those uh, muscles together. So yeah, it might affect it a bit, but it but you know, hopefully not drastically. Nikki, don't worry, I'm happy with it. Hernia talk, yeah, I'm mad for it. Uh, hernia talk's interesting. My mum has a bad umbilical hernia. She had mesh, I believe. Looked like she'd had a tummy tuck as it was so flat. Well, there you go, excellent. Bring it on. Yeah, any, any, any hernia questions, get them on. Get them on, you guys. Let's have it. In the absence of hernia questions, just in between the hernia questions, here we go. Question here. Question says, what aftercare do you offer? Can you purchase 10 year cover in case implants need to be changed? This is so aftercare. Aftercare for me and the clinic is I would say to you that we focus on looking after people and don't charge for follow up appointments 
don't charge if you have to come back to clinic at any time if you're worried about anything if you want to come back before surgery after surgery we're very happy to see any patients if you've got any issues any problems see you no problem at all that's one aspect of the aftercare the other aspect of the aftercare is if you need surgery which is arguably probably more important because obviously that's the expensive thing so if you're a patient and you've had surgery 10 you know days ago or 10 years ago you can come back and we'll, we'll have a chat about things and uh and that's fine if you need surgery then that is where the aftercare comes in which is probably more what you, well, might be more what you're thinking um but um and in terms of surgery it is usually linked with the hospital so the hospital uh offers between six and 12 months depending on the hospitals of cover for revisions so if it doesn't look right basically then it will be put right without you paying and that is uh, most problems come within six months to be honest with you after uh, six or 12 months if you do have a problem you can come back and see me or us and we'll have a look and see what needs to be done if you need surgery you have to pay now in terms of implants to be honest with you most of the problems are going to come in the first six to 12 months because it's going to be they're not sitting right too high too wide too up too let down or, or what have you um the problems you're going to get with implants are longer term which is why you're asking probably about this 10-year thing and that's probably something like capsular contracture now the implants themselves do have a guarantee and all the implants have different guarantees so that's one reason to maybe think about um different types of implants so for instance i use i can use any implant pretty much as long as the hospital can get it i'm not really tied to any manufacturer if i am using implants i use for silicone implants i use nagor implants which are uh made in the uk they have a lifetime warranty which covers capsule contracture and um rupture but that just means they give you a new implant so you've got to be a bit careful with the wording because people say oh don't worry i've got a lifetime guarantee it's all going to be fine if i've got any problems it's all covered well hold on a minute it's not all covered it's just the implants they'll give you a new set of implants but you still need to pay for the surgery so if you have a capsule contracture that is usually five or ten years post-op you still have to pay for the surgery and that could be very expensive so that is something to think about so what you're asking here is can you offer uh can you purchase cover now uh, the other type of implants i use are polyurethane implants which are made by a company called polytech who are a german company and are just distributed in the uk via a company called q medical and q medical offer a guarantee with the implants in terms of a sort of insurance cover so they if you have um a polyurethane polytech implant that comes with a two-year cover on top of the hospital one which is six to 12 months and that covers you for 1500 pounds i think it is per implant so the insurance company will cover you for 1500 pounds per implant if you have a problem within the first two years so that extends it out to two years and at the end of that two years they, they will uh, they will contact you to see if you want to extend it so there is that, that policy if you're having a polytech implant um, that is um, uh, provided by Q Medical. They do have a two-year cover, which can be extended. And I've got a feeling I should have checked this, shouldn't I? I've got a feeling it might be up to ten years. I'm not. I don't know actually. I don't. I don't want to. I want to have a disclaimer on that. I'm not sure how long it goes on for. But after the two, so the two years is covered with the implant, and then after the two years, um, you can extend it with the company but they will charge you i don't know what, i don't know what the charge is but they will charge you just like an insurance policy so that is an option so obviously we're talking about implants there um nikki's back in
Good to have you, Nikki. I had a gallbladder slash gallstone removal, but decided to put a, pull a corner unit across the living room two weeks post-op. Stupid, I know. Hence, hernia repair. Don't make the mistake I made. Listen, people, are you listening to that? Did you hear that, everyone? Nikki had a hernia repair, and then she moved a corner unit two weeks post-op. Is that a good thing to do? No, that is not a good thing to do. All right, things are healing, things are knitting together. You want that hernia repair to scar. It takes a couple of months for that to scar. And you put tension on it, boom, it can pull open, just like a wound pull open. But a hernia repair, by definition, is closed under tension because you've got a hernia, you've got a weakness in the abdominal wall, so you have to close it up and close it tight. And uh, so so this is, this is a sobering lesson for us all there, I think, from Nikki. Thanks, thanks Nikki, for that. We will avoid corner unit moving for at least six weeks after our, our hernia repair. Very good, very, very good. Here we go, why don't we offer discounts? Please can you offer a reduction? Please can you offer a reduction in your surgery price? Um, nice, nice question, like it, like it. Right, um, well we don't offer discounts and there's two reasons for that and one reason is very uh, or, or relatively sort of straightforward, and that is that the uh, BARPS, which I uh, spoke about earlier, which is our professional association, Plastic Surgery Association, does not allow it. We're not allowed to offer discounts as a fully trained plastic surgeon and a member of BARPS. So members of BARPS are not allowed to offer discounts. So um, that makes it easy. So we're not allowed to offer discounts. And the reason we're not allowed to offer discounts, so obviously there's a reason behind it, is because it is a medical uh, procedure. So if it's right for you, it's right for you. If it's not right for you, it's not right for you. You shouldn't be making the decision based on money and we shouldn't be coercing you or encouraging you to have a medical procedure by offering you a discount and say, look, if you buy now, you'll get a discount. That is not ethical in a medical sense. So that is uh, quite simple. Now the problem, yeah, I can think I can safely say the problem um, with uh, certainly plastic surgery or cosmetic surgery in the UK is there's a lot of people who aren't plastic surgeons doing it. They aren't members of BARPS. They are not bound by our professional association. So in the same way that if you have a problem or they are at act unethically or if they act in a way that you feel is not appropriate you can't go to barps i mean you could go to gmc they should still be registered with gmc but gmc is for sort of quite big issues um they might actually be a gmc might help with this but um we they, they wouldn't they're not accountable to barps because if you're not a member of barps then they're not accountable and so there are i'm aware that some places do do these things where they'll say book this month and you'll get a discount and things like that but um that is not bart's members doing who will do that and uh but there are people out there who are not bound by those limitations now i have to say that even if barps didn't have that uh, stipulation i still wouldn't offer a discount because it doesn't sit very well with me i don't feel it is in keeping with the um values of my practice because i don't want to have someone who says oh discount for cash what can you do 
do it for 5,000 or book today and things like this. And then we say yes. And then someone else who is, you know, just assumes that's the price then pays, you know, 6,000 or five and a half thousand, then that's not really fair. Um, and oh, when I say it's not fair, I know it happens in the world, you know, people wheel a deal and get discounts on things. But um, anyway, I just don't think it sits very well with me. And I don't want someone to feel that, you know, you can do a deal. And it, oh, to be honest, it makes it easier for all the staff. It makes it easier for everyone in the office and, because it's just like, look, really sorry. Um, we're not really a price. We're not really a price uh, driven practice. And patients who come don't really come because they're looking for the a bargain yeah i think if you're looking for a bargain you won't come to us and you may feel a bit aggrieved oh they're not offering a discount and i understand it i like a disc we all like a discount don't we i like a discount but um but it's not really the in keeping with the brand and and and, and the way we do business so um know it's just what it is it's just what it is you know it's like apple and sometimes it makes it easier you know it makes it easier to buy an apple thing because you don't have to trawl and look for discounts and look for you know offers because you know there's never going to be a discount you just gotta you know you might say look that's crazy price i'm not paying it well fine i'm gonna get you know discount on you know i understand that and people will do that and that's you know that's the nature of the beast if you don't do discounts there are people out there who'll be aggrieved and want to feel that they've had a bargain and things and as i say i'm one of those people i like you think oh wow that's good tk max love it home sense can't get enough i'm there so i totally get it as a consumer but uh, uh in terms of the business it doesn't it doesn't sit right with uh values of the business nor does it sit right with the fact that we're members of barps and this is a medical procedure so anyway i hope that's okay i don't know what's going on here what's going on olivia's putting all sorts of emojis on nice one jackie's in the house hi jj your opinion please when this pandemic is over i shall be rescheduling my op what would be a reasonable time for recovery from my lower face and neck lift to be free of bruising and swelling as my son is getting married in February? Hold on a minute, Jackie. I've got that question on my list of questions, Jackie. Ooh, what's happening here? Anyway, I'll answer it. I'll answer it. Um, I've got it. I've got it. I've got a few other bits, I think, about facelifting. But anyway, um, a lower facelift and neck lift. So that is... Um, well, I'll talk about facelift in a minute because uh, there is a sort of spectrum in terms of facelift. But it sounds like you're having a sort of full facelift, uh, which means the sort of scar that goes around the ear and in the back. And then that's where the sort of neck lift comes in, the scar at the back. So that'd be a full facelift. So that's quite a big operation. And one of the problems with Facebook, I've got a Facebook <laughs> facelifts is um, because it's on your face, it is quite visual. So you can't really hide it. So I think for the first couple of weeks, you're going to feel fragile, whatever you're going to feel fragile you're not going to feel like doing anything for the first two weeks i would say um you will probably feel start to feel better after two weeks i don't do facelifts by the way jackie so that's disclosure there so i won't be a surgeon anyway but um so this is just my you know my my view but you know you better just surgeons always the best one to talk to about this but anyway um 
first couple of weeks going through before doing anything. The problem is it'll look strange. It'll look quite bruised. It'll look quite tight. Your scar might be a little bit obvious. And that and so that might limit you going out and certainly limit you in terms of the wedding or what have you. I would say after a month to six weeks, you'll start to feel things will feel a bit better, a bit less swollen, a bit less tense and start to feel a bit better. Uh, you might be able to cover things up with makeup and what have you and be presentable but you'll probably still feel a bit uncomfortable um i would say if you can two months it's kind of a bit isn't it i'm getting married february so that's around sort of christmas time i would say two months would be reasonable jackie on that one um so i think i think two months would be where i'd be pitching it but having said that you could get problems something could not heal up properly you might get a stitch here or there or you could sail through and you know six weeks look good as gold it's really hard to say but um because the other thing is you could postpone it afterwards are we be doing christmas are we doing surgery at christmas i don't know probably um but um yeah a couple of months is what i would where i'd be pitching that one uh jackie julia's in the house uh i think the deal thing apart from money which is a huge factor when you investigate procedures the ones abroad do packages which are appealing but obviously it's personal choice and safety Yes, Julia, it is appealing, isn't it? I totally get it. I totally get it. And what I normally say to people is that we can't compete on price. And to and and we do get people who ask about stuff and ask about price and say, flipping it, you can have it done at half the price over here or over there. And I understand that, and I would love to be able to compete on price, but we can't compete on price. And what we can do, and, and what I truly believe on a world stage, that we can compete on the value that we give, the service, aftercare. I believe that we can compete on that in a, uh, on a world stage. I think we can compete on a, you know, with anyone in the world in in that regard, and you can't have a service where you're competing with other services in terms of value aftercare experience service and competing on price you can't do both you can't do both you can't be price competitive and service value aftercare you know give the best experience to everybody possible it's just not possible so you have to, you know, you ha something has to give. If you're going to be competitive on world price, something has to give. If you're going to be competitive on service, something has to give. So for us, we're competitive on service. And the thing that has to give is the price thing. So we will attract people who are attracted to a comprehensive service and will pay the price for that. Other people will be attracted to a much more competitive price. But perhaps, I don't know, you have to talk about those those places, but perhaps the service will be less competitive, but they might choose that. So that's that's where that's where we are on that one. Um, but I too I totally understand that a competitive price is appealing. I and I do understand that. You don't look like you need one. I don't look like I need one. What? facelift no no thank you thank you for that nikki if you go abroad there's no aftercare whatsoever 
Okay, unless you stay in that country for a few months. Right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so says Olivia. Um, so there you go. Where are we up to? Would hernia be addressed? What do you offer aftercare? Why we don't do discounts? Here we go. This one now. Treat, uh, treatment of keloid scars. Is there treatment for keloid scars so I can tattoo over them? Um, well, is there key treatment for keloid scars? Yes. So there are several treatments for keloid scars. Keloid scars are lumpy, raised, uh, often red or darker colored skin, um, abnormal scarring, and it's they're difficult to treat. And they are prone to certain skin types, certainly for darker colored skin, Afro-Caribbean skin, certain areas it's prone, earlobes, shoulders, sternum. Uh, are areas that are prone to keloid scarring. They're difficult to treat. And uh, so, but there are ways you can treat it. You can, on a simple, simplest level massage, you can use silicone in the form of either sheets or gel. You can perform steroid injections. Um, those are the mainstay of treatment. For the more aggressive or problematic ones, you can cut them out, but then you are you're gonna get an even bigger one come back. And you can even use radiotherapy and other sorts of modalities for keloid scars. So there are things you can do for keloid scars. So, so you can treat keloid stars, scars. But the question, can you treat keloid scars so you get them tattooed over? Blimey, I wouldn't, personally, I wouldn't. And the reason I wouldn't is because even when you treat it, you aim to make it flat. And um, But there's often a bit of a bump. And it's the bump that... I say I wouldn't. I mean, it's the bump that's the problem. So if you tattoo over a non-flat surface with a bump, unless you're trying to incorporate it into the tattoo, I don't know, um, it might not be the result you're after. So I think uh, uh, the other thing is keloid scar can come from a very minimal trauma. So if you're prone to keloid, you can get a spot or a chicken pox, you know, scar or something like that, or, you know, the, the BCG injection or, or some minimal or ear piercing, minimal trauma to get the keloid scar. So I would just be worried about having a tattoo personally. I'm worried that, you know, you could that trauma caused keloid. So um, I would be worried about doing, so can keloid scars be treated? Yes. So that you can tattoo over them. Not sure I'd be encouraging you to tattoo over it because I would be avoiding having any needles stuck in my skin if I am prone to keloid scars. Now, if, if it's a hypertrophic scar, that's a different situation. That's a scar that's had delayed healing, got infected, had a problem, and has ended up with a red lumpy raised scar, then that might be possible to be revised because that might not be your body forming the, the scar, the ugly scar. It might be the fact that you had an infection or a delayed healing. But if you had normal healing and you've got a proper keloid scar, a proper keloid scar is traditionally bigger than the original scar. So that's one of the hallmarks of a keloid scar. So you can end up with an ear piercing, which is a tiny little scar, because it's just a, a hole, turning into this massive, great big scar, which is much bigger than the original um, scar. I said scar a lot there, didn't I? I hope that makes sense. But anyway, yes, keloid scars can be treated, but I wouldn't necessarily be going on to the old tattoo afterwards on a personal basis. I wouldn't, but, you know. Um, Donna. Hello, uh, quadruple question, uh, exclamation mark. Got my 360 in 108 days, if it's still on. 108 days, fingers crossed, Donna, fingers crossed. We will be out of lockdown, crikey. I hope to God we're out of lockdown in 108 days, Donna. Any recommendations?
recommendation for post 360 garments long term in your opinion yeah i mean um again go with your surgeon are your surgeon um but if i am then go with what i say uh but if not go with whatever your surgeon says and broadly speaking there are two types of garment one is like a velcro thing that goes around which can uh, be a, lo a lot easier to put on and can be quite uh, helpful certainly in the early stages it's quite adjustable it's just literally a band that goes around your abdomen um, and the other is a sort of proper garment which has got a gusset and has got hooks and eyes uh, and is a bit more fitted uh, it can be a little bit uncomfortable especially in the early stages because you're cramped up uh, and especially if you have a catheter or drains in because the gusset doesn't do up because of the drains and all sorts um, and then that can make it roll up and down so there are some issues with it um, but it is good when the drains are and all that are out and the gussets on it is a bit more um, a bit more supportive you know what some people prefer one some people prefer the other um, both in terms of the patients and both in terms of the surgeons. I think there's good and bad about both of them, and sometimes we use a combination. But, um, yeah, that's that's where I am with garments there, uh, Donna. And the main – well, not the main thing, but one thing is you want to make sure it's fitting nicely, doesn't dig in, doesn't cause you ulceration, doesn't cause you red marks, and doesn't cause you problems because they sometimes can. So you don't want the uh, garment to cause problems. You know, you want it to be good. Not bad. Jackie, I wish you did perform facelifts. Thanks for info. The wedding is the end of Feb. That's good. Yeah, no, I don't dabble. Don't dabble in the old facelift arena, uh, Jackie. I am um, breast and body is my ting. Kuram does facelifts. Who works with JJ? Correct, Olivia. Thank you, Kuram. It does. <laughs> Thanks, Olivia. Olivia is my PR manager. Thank you for that. No, she's not. Just said that. But yeah, um, I should have said that, shouldn't I, Olivia? Yeah, Kuram works in the clinic and she, he, she, he does uh, Kuram Khan. He does facelifts. Um, yeah, but it's, uh, I don't. Um, Karen's first time here. <laughs> yeah, we should have like a, a star or ring a bell. I haven't got a bell. Uh, first time <laughs> First time here. It's all right, Karen. Like, welcome. Thank you for coming. Um, do you know if fractional laser work burning the scar of skin is successful in inducing the appearance of scars? T-gank you. T-gank you too, Karen. Um, well, in my opinion, now, disclaimer, Karen, I don't do laser. But in my opinion, laser is good for red things. So laser is good if the scar is persistently red and it can help to uh, target the red pigment and to make it less red. Now, the problem is scars are often slash usually red to start off with, and then they settle. They can take six to 12 months to settle, sometimes even longer, 18 months or, or more. So they can take time to settle. So my advice is normally moisturize and massage to help the redness fade, help the firmness to settle and let them settle. And usually they do settle pretty well on their own. But if you do have persistent redness, then you might want to think about um, laser to target that redness. But it's not needed as often as I think people think. They often think, oh, if my scar's bad, I'll get some laser. But having said that, I don't do laser. So maybe if you spoke to a, la uh, spoke to a laser person, they'd be thinking that there'd be more applications for it. But that's, in, that's my view of laser and scars being here for that i hope that's answered your question okay um so donna thank you was thinking about the fitted one had a macom after my ba which was amazing still pretty good three years post 550 cc hp unders get it in there donna get it in there okay donna's a 550 hp unders right <laughs> adamant 
to get the best results, um, I can with the 360. Okay, Adamant to get the best results, I can with the 360. Um, I see a lot of Americans use amp boards in theirs to help. Would you recommend what's an amp board? Oh my god! What's an oh my god! An amp board is that like a what's that like a? Um, right. Um, well, Donna, people are different in terms of their view on garments and some people are very prescriptive about garments and like for goodness sake you got to do this week one to two and then you got to use the type two garment at three to six and then you've got to phase out and use this and that and they can be very prescriptive and i think some people respond to that and think yeah i know what i'm doing and i'm you know he's saying that these are the best ones and all, all sorts but whenever you find that everyone's got different views and some people are less prescriptive and some people use different ones that you realize there's no right or wrong answer so the guy that's being very prescriptive about it it in his view he he's giving you the best advice but it's not necessarily the right advice it's just his advice and his opinion and how he manages his practice so i think you'll find with garments there is quite a spectrum and I have had situations where the garments have dug in, the garments have caused problems. So I don't want patients to think, oh, my goodness me, if I take my garment off, it's the end of the world. I better keep it on. And then they come back with an ulcer. They come back with a red mark or a, or a wound or they you take the garment off. And they're like, oh, my God, I can breathe because you've got to be able to take deep breaths. You don't want to get a chest infection. You know, you don't want to You've got to be able to expand up your lungs, cough. The garment is there for support. The garment is there to help you and to support you and to give you comfort really so it shouldn't be compressed it's not compression in my practice some people might say oh compression and swelling like it's not compression it's support so um yeah so i don't think necessarily the garment will be the difference you know good will help you get through your post-op recovery if it is supportive and helpful uh, and comfortable but i don't necessarily think it will be like you know the end the 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 answer to all all your problems or the cause of all your problems if you don't use the right one or something you know so i wouldn't be too prescriptive about it personally but that's just me in my practice you better go with whatever your your surgeon says you know surgeon's adamant is it yeah he used to be big in the 80s didn't he so um yeah so good guy though um good guy so um could do with a new job oh peter yeah good more questions from donna bring it on donna bring it on come on i should have started earlier shouldn't i um do you recommend silicon strips for scarring and what about a rollerball for massaging product into or lymphatic drainage well um donna funny you should say that Because we have, we have the dual action scar gel <laughs> now available, available from the uh, Stan and Plastic Surgery website and distributed from my home because I've got them all over there. <laughs> we also offer the smaller scar. Where's the camera? Oh, well, okay. scar gel there. So the 6G, or the big boy, 15G, and this one, so the big boy has got a 
It's got like a rollerball thing on it. See? See, it's got it's got a rollerball. Check that out. That is product. That is product. This is what we want. That's got a rollerball on it so that when you apply the the the, the silicone, the rollerball massages. Hmm? What's the question? Do you recommend silicone strips for scarring? So these are gel. These are both gel. So silicone comes in gel or strips. Um, to be honest, TBH, I would say, now they meant they, they um, uh, promote silicone. They probably say on it just for scar. Yeah. You know, treat scars. They, they promote it for scars. They say that it's for, um, it's for any scar help scars because i think they want to sell it to people you know because that's a big market isn't it scars to be honest i would say to you it's really for problem scars for most normal scars i think any massage or moisturizer any sort of moisturizing cream we also have our, we also have oh, i'm not going to go on we got qv cream anyway we got anyway just whatever moisturizing cream you got to be honest with you to be perfectly honest for me it's more the moisturizing and the massage that's doing it rather than the stuff you're using. So if you've got some hand cream that you normally use or some moisturizer, we do sell some moisturizer. But anyway, if you've got some moisturizer you like, then I'd use that, to be honest with you. And um, that's the main thing for scars. If it's a problem scar, by problem, I mean red and raised. Now, that's a hypertrophic slash keloid scar. So if it's getting a bit red and raised, a bit hypertrophic, that's when the silicone strips come in. So silicone or silicone comes in. So silicone really is beneficial for problematic scars. And silicone comes in the form of strips or gel. The gel is good for areas like the face, for instance, ears, you know, where it's a strip would fall off. You wouldn't want a strip on your head, you know, because the, the strips are good for maybe the breast, tummy because your underwear can hold them in um so um i don't particularly recommend silicone strips for scarring but if you have got problematic scarring if it's red raised itchy they can also help with the itch then it is good i don't think you were talking about the rollerball in this one about massaging product in um but massaging product in is good and i think the fact that this has got inbuilt rollerballs this is why, why we got it at the clinic really because i thought that was really good that rollerball applicator because it gives massages well as the silicone but um yeah massage is good so if you know a rollable type of um uh, uh, device to to give a bit of pressure obviously you've got to wait till the wounds properly healed you don't want to be uncomfortable then that's good lymphatic drainage also is good and lymphatic drainage uh not so much for scarring but certainly for healing is good manual lymphatic drainage <coughs> excuse me is a good thing to do yes i do think that is good donna um Karen, thank you. Thank you. Your first timer, Karen. Nice to have you on board. Donna, like a firm board inside a garment. Not seen many over here. Lol. I just worry about it giving pressure problems, Donna. I think I just be, and I don't think it's necessary. I don't think you really want to really push on that. You know, for me, it's not compression, it's support. That's where I am. Lisa's in the house. If I was considering multiple surgeries, that's it. That's the comment. If you were, Lisa, yeah why not that's what i would say if you were why not that's my response to that jacqueline with breast implant replacement what is the effect on scarring do you utilize original scarring or are new incisions created a 
A, utilise incision. Well, actually, no. Oh, God, I can qualify that one, Jacqueline. Um, well, it depends whether the original scarring is. So personally, there's three different scars you can do, put breast implants in. Inframammary in the fold here, infraareola below the areola, and transaxillary. In this country, most of us use inframammary, the one in the fold down there. So if it's inframammary, I would, yeah, definitely use the same scar. So I would excise that scar. So I'll give you a fresh scar in the same area. That scar goes and give you a fresh scar in the same area. If it's transaxillary, and if it's me, I mean, if, if the surgeon's happy doing transaxillary, then yeah, definitely use the same scar. But if you've had it a way that the surgeon would rather do it a different way, so if you had, for instance, transaxillary, uh, I would probably say to you, you know what, I'd probably just make a fresh infraareola scar, uh, inframammary scar, just because I feel that you've got better access to the pocket inframammary scar in my hands. It's all about experience, you know, not say the guy that does uh, transaxillary is, you know, wrong or I'm wrong. It's just I'm more comfortable doing infra uh memory because i feel i have better access to the breast and can get the pocket placement better whereas i understand transaxillary is a, a more hidden scar so i understand the benefits of it but i don't do it but um yeah so if it was a scar an incision that can be could be used yeah definitely just use the same one jacqueline don't give you a new one defo lisa is how to think about this now sorry multiple surgeries arm lift breast lift fdl which would you have first as would the breast lift be after fdl tummy tuck do you know what lisa i would say to you i'd put it straight back on you lisa and i'd say to you what's the most problem what's the biggest problem for you because what happens if you have a problem afterwards if you the anesthetic's not very nice you think flipping it i'm not doing that again i would say to you do the thing that bothers you most first just in case you don't go and have the other thing done where i am would the breast be after the fdl no if you if your breasts are you hate them with a passion and the f you know the tummies you know oh yeah whatever then do the breast do the breast girl whatever if the tummy's a nightmare do the tummy do the one that bothers you most my answer on that one lisa um that's where i am on that one how much question mark it's that rhetorical question olivia how much good question how much is enough no one knows if only we knew i ask as i'm a massage therapist so hoping to help help limp drainage at home as much as i can't as much as i can and ooh, look at that gel amazing how often do you use that for yeah available online dispatched from styano towers right here um so your massage yeah yeah i think massage is good i think it's uh, good i think um, manual lymphatic drainage is good at home uh, and what was it look at that sorry what's the question at home as much as i can yeah how often would you use that for what the the gel it's only for problem scars to be honest donna so not not particularly often <laughs> if i'm honest with you donna if i'm honest i mean it's just you and me here but it's it's only needed for lumpy red lumpy scars keloid hypertrophic scars as i say they mass they manage they they um um I think they want to sell it to anyone with the scar and um but the evidence in terms of medical evidence the evidence is strong for lumpy red scars the evidence isn't great and what they do is they show you photos of a scar they say six months after using this and the scar's gone and you're like well hold on a minute six months after massaging with normal stuff or even six months with doing nothing a lot of scars disappear so for me, I don't think the evidence is strong for normal scars, personally. There's no problem with it, but 
the evidence isn't strong for, for using it in all scars. Um, good, thank you, thank you, Donna. Would you personally do an arm lift and a thigh lift, maybe mini thigh lift in one up? Do not do or not really, as it is all limbs. Uh, yeah, B, B on that one, Donna. I don't think it would be a great one for you, Donna, or for the patient. Uh, I don't think it'd be a great one for the patient because having all limbs uncomfortable. It's not a great one for surgery because you've got a prepping and draping you is difficult because you've got to prep. Do you prep and drape the arms and the legs separately or do you do them all in one, in which case your whole body will be exposed, in which case you'll go cold during surgery if we can't really cover your, your thorax. So prepping would be problem, draping would be problem. Uh, it'd just be awkward and mainly the post-op wouldn't be very much fun for you, Donna. So I would tend to try and do upper, so you can combine procedures, but like arm lift and breast thing, uh, thigh lift and tummy thing is sort of more of a, um, more of a standard combination of doing things rather than, um, doing it, doing an arm and a leg. I, I don't think it's a very good way to recover. I don't think it'd be much fun personally, Donna. Olivia Scargel. Oh, how much is a scar gel? Oh, God. I've got no idea, Olivia. It's on the website. Sorry. <laughs> I don't know. 30 quid or something? I, I made that up. I don't know. Sorry. It's on the website. Anyway, it's on the website. I won't do it now. Sorry, Olivia. I've let you down. It's, I, I don't know what it is. But you can get you you can get it from other retailers like Amazon and well, I shouldn't mention the name, Boots, you know, Chemist Pharmacy. It is available over the counter. Um, Lisa, my arms are horrible and my breasts are awful, but I don't want the FDL to pull down the boobs. Not sure if tummy tuck affects the boobs. Not really, Lisa, not really. Your inframammary fold is pretty set. And, and, and I know what you're saying, but uh, your, your, your breasts, it's your breasts that are droopy, not the fold. So it's the actual breast itself. So you're having a tummy tuck is not going to make your breast droop more. No, it's not. It's not. So it won't affect the boobs. Good one. Dawn's off, guys. Eight o'clock, Dawn's bedtime. Okay, Dawn. Night, everyone. Night for Dawn. Thanks for coming, Dawn. And uh, see you next week. We'll stay up if that's okay. But yeah, um, I don't know when that I hope you haven't gone already. Anyway, Dawn, thanks for your questions, Dawn. You've done well tonight. You deserve a, you deserve a rest. Donna, I'm having a lower body lift three years after boobs. Apparently, they won't pull them down. I've asked this wonderful guy before, too. Go for it, girl. There you go. Is this wonderful guy me or someone else? Um, anyway, there you go. So Donna's backing me up on that. Won't pull them down. Um, Olivia's having thighs and boobs in one go. I haven't let her down, which is good. Uh, oh, thank you. Thank you for the question, Lisa. Thank you for the question. So, so I'm going to go over here to do my next question, which is Kilo done that one. Good candidate for, what's that? Oh yeah, this is the good candidate for facelift. Who is a good candidate for a facelift? What is the best age to have a facelift? What is the recovery time for a facelift? So we touched on a bit of facelift issues earlier. So uh, what is the first question? Who is a good candidate for a facelift? A good candidate for a facelift is someone who uh, feels that they um, are, um, who, who is, look, well, I don't do facelifts, all right? 
disclaimer, but it's someone who feels that uh, their tissues are are going. It's a bit like the same for the breast and the tummy going south. Everything's a bit totic. Um, they feel totic means sort of droopy. Um, they feel that they um, are, uh, find it hard to sort of in terms of wearing makeup and what have you, it's it's hard because of the structure and the jowls and the jawline isn't well defined. Sometimes the neck is a problem with the excess skin in the neck. Um, and the best age for a facelift is you, well, first of all, it depends on if this bothers you or not. And like people say, would you see this person have cosmetic surgery or not? If it doesn't bother you, then there's no age. But it would probably be sort of 50s, 60s would be the sort of age you'd be thinking of someone in terms of a facelift. Now, having said that, let me roll back a bit. There's different types of facelift, you see. And there's a spectrum in terms of what, you know, you go right from sort of non-surgical stuff, which shouldn't really be called a facelift, but sometimes people call it non-surgical facelifts and stuff, up to a full facelift. So, and there's stuff in between. So there's things like a mini facelift where they just make a scar here rather than a full facelift. There's a uh, this one stitch facelift where they just put things under the skin, they hitch hitch things up, much less invasive, local anesthetic and sedation sort of things where they just do a, a little hitch. I say the because it's not they, because it's not me. So there are different types of facelift. So the, what I was talking about is like a full facelift, um, which is quite an invasive procedure. That's the one with the sort of, you know, six week downtime, bruised, battered, stitches, scars. Uh, and then it progresses down to less scars, progresses down to just putting these stitches in these anchors where they anchor the tissues up without actually cutting skin out. Now, in order to cut skin out, you create scars. So um, there are types of facelift. If there isn't a huge amount of excess skin where you can just anchor the tissues up without actually cutting any skin out and therefore not leaving any significant scarring. So the problem is it's less of a lift because you're not cutting any stitch out. So it's always a balance, less of a lift, less scarring, less downtime, more of a lift, more downtime, more scarring. So the older person might need more of an extensive surgery, whereas a younger person might be able to have a, uh, a lesser surgery, which will therefore give a less of a result, which will therefore all of the results, doesn't matter which one you have, will then act, be acted on by gravity and will, you know, the face or the body will droop or sag again because we're all acting on by gravity. But obviously, the bigger the result, the longer it takes to recur than the smaller results. So you've got to do the balance because you might say, I don't want downtime. I don't want scars. OK, we'll have the smaller one, but you might need something done again sooner than if you'd had the bigger one. So it might be a false economy, might not. Um, so the age would vary on how extensive a lift you have. Is that all right? What is recovery time for facelift? So as I say, that was earlier. So that was a six-week thing. I'm talking about with the full facelift, but they talk about these sort of little lifts and these little one-stitch things, you know. There you're back a few days, a week. I don't know. I don't really do them, to be honest. I don't really know. But I think they're a lot quicker for the less invasive ones. I didn't answer that very well, have I? Anyway, is that... Is that okay? Um, have I missed anything? Thank you for that answer. I said that. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I did. I said thank you for the question. Asked you. Asked you. What's that referring to? Oh, I'm the wonderful guy. Lisa, do you have a limit 
on BMI for arm lift boob lift? Yes and no, Lisa. Yes, because it's 30. No, because it's not written in stone. So if someone asks me, I'd say 30. I'd say 30 is better to be a BMI less than 30, basically. Um, now, sometimes people will say um, not doing it unless it's whatever, 30 or whatever. I don't have a specific thing where I'll say, look, I won't do it. I try and have a conciliatory sort of partnership with patients and say, look, there are studies which say you're going to have a better result, less risk of complications if your BMI is less than 30 than if it's above 30. Now, I do do surgery, on, or at least I have done surgery on people who BMI above 30, but these are usually people who've lost a significant amount of weight. And the important thing is they're happy with their weight. So the first question is, are you happy with your weight? Because if your BMI is above 30 and you're happy with your weight, you don't really want to get it falsely below 30 just for surgery, then put it back on again. Um, so if you're happy with your weight, that's one thing. Now, if you're not happy with your weight, and I understand it, you might say, look, I'm not happy with my weight, but once I get my tummy tucked and I get my arms done, they'll be able to exercise better because I've got this big apron here in my arms and all that. I understand that. But if you're not happy with your weight, you're much better to get your weight down first because you don't want to have significant weight fluctuations after surgery. You really want to get your weight right first before surgery um, because if you have significant weight fluctuations after surgery, it can have an unpredictable result on the um, effect on the result. So really, you want to have a stable BMI, ideally below 30, but doesn't have to be below 30. Um, but if you can particularly if you've lost a lot of weight. Sometimes if people have had a BMI of 45 and it's gone down to, you know, 32, it's a bit harsh to sort of say, I've got to get it down to 30 because, you know. But yeah, the lower you get it, the better. Less risk of complications and you're going to get a better result if you get down lower. So it's for you, really. Olivia may consider a one-stitch facelift. Okay, there you go, Olivia. I've sold the one-stitch facelift. Good. Um... Where are we up to? Who is a candidate? This one here. Oh, here we go. Hi. This is a good one. Is that up? Oh, no. Where is it? Hi. It's just a question for tonight's live Q&A. So I'm looking for an uplift in implants. My breasts are asymmetrical, so I've been advised a lift and two different sized implants. Just wanted to ask a question to help any other ladies who may be in a similar situation, but are uh, too embarrassed to show. So this person is, this is, I put this deliberately towards the end because I got a photo. And I'm worried that I might get, um, you know, get uh, disciplined by Facebook. Now, thank you for putting things over the um, uh, um, uh, areas of the, of, the, of the body that maybe are supposed to be shown. So what time is it? Quarter past eight. Is it acceptable? I'm, I'm going to show a photo now. So if, I, I guess I should disclaim it now. So if you've got, not disclaim, but if you've got children watching, maybe ask them to leave the room or turn the computer away now because I've got a photo here I don't know I, I, I don't know I, I like showing photos because I think it helps to maybe helps to get an idea but um I don't want to upset anyone or, or be told, told off by Facebook again God knows I've been told off enough so I'm going to show the photo in three in two in one photo mm photos coming up so this is a photo here right so i hope i don't oh, i don't want it that way around 
So this photo here, so a bit of a breast asymmetry, one breast bigger than you see, one breast bigger than the other, sitting a bit low. Um, um, nothing too drastic, but um, yeah, good question. So I better, um, yeah, I've got away with it. I haven't, <laughs> I haven't got banned yet. So, um, so yes, thank you very much for letting me share the photo. So this is a good question. So um, breast implants under or over the muscle. So really interesting. And this is a question that will be asked, answered differently by different surgeons. Just 10 surgeons, you're going to get, well, probably not 10 answers because there's only two answers but you know five of each maybe anyway um and it depends on how much tissue you've got in the upper part of your breast if you've got enough tissue enough soft tissue cover then i would put it on top of the um muscle and looking at the photo i would be that's where i'd be inclined to go i'd want to examine you in clinic so just to to disclaim that but that's where i'd be inclined to go on top of the muscle and the reason i go on top of the muscle because i worry that one of the risks of putting the implants under the muscle is the muscle holds the implant high. And if the muscle holds the implant high and your breast sitting low, it doesn't look good. So I would therefore put it on top of the muscle. Now, if you're very slim and you do have, particularly if your rib cage is showing, you worry that you're going to see the edges of the implant, you're going to feel the edges of the implant, you might get visible rippling. So that would be the worry and that would be the reason to put it underneath the muscle. Um, but and some people say, oh, but under the muscle is better, isn't it? Or over the muscle is better. I'm like, no, one isn't better. If one was better, we would just do it that way. The problem we're putting underneath the muscle, because you might say, I don't want to have rippling. I don't want to see the edges. Oh, well, have it under the muscle. The problem about under the muscle, as I say, sometimes the implants are held high. Sometimes they're held wide. If you see a particularly wide cleavage, that means they've had them under the muscle. They haven't released the muscle enough. And sometimes you get animation deformity. So when you use the gym and things, the breasts move because the, the implant is underneath the muscle. And when you tend to the pec major muscle, the, the um, breast moves. So there are good and bad about putting under the muscle and over the muscle. But uh, on that one, I would probably put them on top of the muscle, although I would have examine you in the, in, the, in, in the clinic to have a look at your subcutaneous covering in the upper part of the breast to see if there's enough cover to sort of hide the implants. Now, the other thing it was saying, what was the other thing it was saying? Oh, yeah, uh, the asymmetry. Yeah, so there's two ways you can address an asymmetry. <clears throat> if you're just having implants, then obviously it would be what's called a differential augmentation where you put a bigger implant in the smaller breast. But if you're having a lift with implants, you could still do that, lift both and do a differential augmentation. Or you could do a small reduction of the bigger breast and then put the same implants in. No right or wrong. I've done it both ways. Pros and cons of both. The pro of doing the um, lift and different size implants is that you're not removing any breast tissue. Obviously, you want to maximize the amount of breast tissue in order to get maximal cover over the implant. The benefit of taking a bit of tissue out of the bigger breast and putting same size implants in is that then as things as you age, as your body weight and fat and what have you goes up or down, then they'll do that equally because there'll be the same volume of breast to implant in both um, sides. Uh, Six and two threes. Um, but yeah, that's fine doing it whichever way. And then what I would what I say to people, uh, this isn't my patient, so I your your surgeon might have said this to you, but what I say to everybody is there's probably still gonna be some asymmetries, whichever whether you do a differential augmentation or whether you do a reduction of the bigger breast, there'll probably be some asymmetries, but we're trying to bring it back into proportion and bring it, make it look more balanced is the is the goal. So uh, that's a good one. And thank you for the photo.
what happens if they get infections, problems? Would they need to go to the NHS or would you treat them? Right, let's go. Thank you for the, the, the scroll. Um, yeah, this see, I get this. I do get this. I think this is talking about people who've like gone abroad or, or, or gone elsewhere for surgery. And I do get people sometimes who've gone abroad for surgery who want to have. I don't know, stitches taken out or um, aftercare, basically. And no, I would not treat them. I would not treat them. I And the reason for that is the way it's set up in this country anyway is that we get paid for the surgery. So the surgery is a certain price and the aftercare is included. It's part of that price. And so there isn't a separate price for aftercare. The, the price is for the whole package, the whole thing. Once you've got a patient, they're your patient and you look after them. And that is how we practice. And that is how we've been brought up. And that's how the medical system is in the UK. You, have a, you are responsible for your patients. And, and therefore, once you, there is someone who's a patient of yours, you are responsible for, for them. Um, and the same is so if you have it done abroad, really is that surgeon's responsibility to look after you. So um, if you have it done abroad and say, look, oh, can I, can I, can I look, can, you know, me look after you? I'm like, no, not really. Number one, because I don't feel comfortable looking after another surgeon's work. It's his or her um, responsibility. And number two, that's not how you, you can't, sort of i might charge you know seven thousand pounds ten thousand pounds fifteen thousand pounds i don't know what you know thousands of pounds for something they might charge one thousand pounds you know what i haven't really got a price for just the after i'm not going to just say okay we'll pay me ten thousand pounds to do the aftercare or like you know we don't have a price for aftercare packages the aftercare packages include that's why or that that may be you have to look into what they're offering but that may be one of the reasons that it's you know ten thousand pounds here and i don't know what the difference of prices is but you know a different price in one place to another place maybe that there's different um levels of aftercare and unfortunately you can't just sort of bolt on an aftercare package afterwards um so uh so yeah you really you 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 shouldn't really either be going to the nhs um you know if you have private treatment i mean the nhs will help you if you are ill i mean there's no question if you're ill if you're septic if you're you know if if you're ill the nhs is brilliant you know it will help us all we're all it's there for us all if we're ill um but as, as i said before if you have a a, a treatment by a doctor and there is a, a a complication or an issue it really the first port of call should really be that doctor and most would probably want to be the first port of call we want to look after our patients i don't really want my patients going to see another doctor with their problems you know i want them to see me i want to have an opportunity to fix it and to treat it from and sort of moral and ethical responsibility but also i'm best placed i did the surgery i know exactly what i've done you know one's bigger than the other well that's because I struggled with one and it was a bit bigger and it's not that it's swollen or flipping heck that's swollen. You know, I, 
I know how big it was or small it was or what, you know what I mean? I've done the surgery, so I'm in the best place. So really, if you have infections or problems, you should go and see your doctor who did the, who did the treatment. And I totally understand it, that if it's in somewhere far away, it's difficult, which is why I always say to everybody, it's best not to go far away. Um, and that's the same for people who live far away coming to see me. I say, look, you know what, you're better off. Because if you have a problem, I'll say, look, come and have a look. Uh, I'll do, I can do videos. I can do, uh, you know, we can help and liaise with GPs in terms of prescriptions and things like that. But it's not ideal. And it would be better to have it done um, closer to home. So in answer to the question, no, I wouldn't do an aftercare type thing. So if someone contacts me having had surgery uh, elsewhere, I, I, I would say to them, look, you really need to go and contact your doctor because uh, they're really responsible for um for that sorry what's happened has anything happened in the chat oh, i do you have an update for me am i am i ever one still done that oh here we go lisa i've lost nearly eight stone well done you lisa bmi was 50 wow he's now 31 what 50 to 31 that's crazy still going down but my arms are causing me problems yeah well well if it's still going down lisa keep it up i say i say 30 is a cutoff if it's still going down go to where it's going to go go where you're happy and stable don't listen to me about 30 30 is just a sort of ballpark if you can keep on going and do keep on going um photos are always good they are aren't they you are great thank you olivia that's kind let's leave that up there for a bit um uh and Natalie, thinking about being able to see the implants due to your size slash weight. I'm a size eight and you can see my ribs. So that's probably why the surgeon is saying to put my implants under the muscle. I always wondered why. So now I know the answer. Yes, I see. exactly. So if you can see your ribs, that's sort of like a ballpark sort of um, uh, assessment. If you can see your rib, so I say to people, look, if I can see your ribs, if I can do like that and I know I'm going to touch a rib because I can see it then if you can't hide your ribs, how can I hide these implants? If you can see your ribs, you're going to be able to see the implants. And the other thing I say to people, if they're having another muscle, the muscle cover, the muscle goes, the pec major goes from your arm down onto your breastbone. It goes across like that. That's how the, the, the pec major um, uh, muscle sits. So this bit here is always not under the muscle sort of thing, you know, so it's, it's not under the muscle. So you might have rippling and things laterally. If you're very slim, you might have implant rippling laterally. And it might be a question of like, that's because you're so slim. I can't hardly hide the implant. It's what it is. You know, that's you know, just don't have surgery. Take it or leave it. That's what it is. You know, if you're very, very slim, you might get rippling. You might be able to see the implant. You might be able to feel the implant laterally, even if you have them under the muscle. And it's all about having this conversation before having the surgery, because then you accept it better afterwards rather than us saying to you afterwards, oh, yeah, you can always feel it laterally. Yeah, because you haven't got any muscle there. And you're like, oh, thanks for telling me that now. Yeah. So uh, what we got, how long are drains in for and what are they used for? So it depends on the op. Don't use drains on many ops these days. Um, tummy tucks, uh, tummy tucks, big breast reductions, capsulectomy, 
of a breast uh, implant, removing the capsule. Um, so it, operations where there's a bit of ooze. So there's a bit, a bit of an ooze, a uh, bit of a dead space, if you like, with a tummy tuck. There's a bit of a space there. So the drains are suction drains. You know, continuous vacuum, and they help to suck down the, the tissue. So that's really what I use them for. Um, if there's a sort of raw surface, like with a capsulectomy, where you're taking out the capsule of the implant, um, and for a tummy tuck, where there's a you have to undermine up to the rib cage, so there's a raw surface, and the drains will suck that surface down to help it stick together to reduce the risk of seroma fluid collection in, collecting in that space. That's really what they're for. Um, people often think they're for hematoma, which is blood collecting inside. Maybe, but the evidence is not strong to say that they're for hematoma, but it's really for just to help the pockets. Uh, cut down, uh, uh, stick down. How long are they in for? Surgeon dependent. Personally, usually two nights. One or well, one or two nights. Breast reduction maybe one night. Tummy tuck maybe two nights. Maybe three. One to three nights, let's say. Personally, I don't like sending people home with drains, so they come out before you go home. Uh, some people do. Some people send people home for drains and come back two weeks later or a week later or something like that. I don't like sending people home with drains, so I pretty much never i would say i never send anyone home with a drain so the drains are in while you're in hospital and then they come out and then you go then you go home so you don't really go home with drains but that's really what i use drains for but everyone um, people might have a different a different view on that but that's mine that's my view how long after a tummy tuck before you can go on a can ride a bike well, you know what? Riding a bike is good exercise. It's not impact. There's no impact there. So it is actually good exercise. And uh, in terms of a good exercise after surgery. So I would say you'd run a, a ride a bike quicker than if you're um, running and things like that. Particularly if you're doing exercise bike at home, where you can just gently do it. Because you don't want to go on a long bike ride and then think, oh my Lord, my tummy's killing me and it's all swollen and I feel terrible and you've got to get back again. So if you can start at home, maybe on the exercise bike, I would say gently two to three weeks you know gently that is mind i'm not talking about going on the tour de france or getting on your racing bike and going up a hill you know not too much exertion but gently on the level pootling down the canal towpath yeah two to three weeks maybe if it feels okay listen to your body you know um particularly the exercise bike i think two weeks exercise bike maybe maybe three weeks for a real bike um and just take it easy but again, tummy tuck's a big op. You might have problems. You might have a bit of wound healing, this and that. So it might be longer, but that's sort of, you know, average. Last question. I'll tell you something, guys. Last week, I had, uh, well, about four o'clock, I had one question. I think I did have one or two questions in between, but I had loads on the um, on the chat. But this week I've had a good, fantastic. I mean, it's restored my faith in the lockdown, honestly. So um, good, good haul of questions this week. Um, I had surgery abroad, mummy makeover, and not able to be checked over for obvious reasons. I'm getting a lot of tingling pain, shooting pains, to the point it is waking me at night when I turn. Would you suspect this is normal nerve pain for 360 lipo tummy tuck in my side flanks? Yeah, um, a lot of tingling pain shooting pains tingling yes tingling is healing so tingling is fine there's a bit of a border here between tingling and shooting pains that are waking me up at night so 
I'm thinking it's probably okay. Um, now, you're not able to get checked over, but you're able to phone and Skype and all that sort of stuff. So again, I would try and contact your surgeons because it is probably something your surgeon is best placed to talk to you about, particularly for a 360 degree tummy tuck, which is a big op. So really you need to speak to your surgeon about that, whether or not they're abroad or whatever, they should still be contactable, you would hope. Um, but in terms of tingling pain, or, or at least tingling is often a sign of everything knitting together, not necessarily a bad thing. Pain, slightly more worrying, especially pain that was waking up at night. You think, mm, is there something there? But if it doesn't look particularly swollen, if the skin doesn't look red, I'd probably be more reassured. And I would suspect if the skin was red and it was swollen, you would have said. So if it looks okay and it's just tingling and discomfort when you're turning, I mean, it is a big op. Um, when did you have it? Doesn't say no, but it is a big op, and it does take a while for these sorts of weird feelings, and you can get sharp pains and, and what have you um, to settle. But having said all that, always best to get your surgeon to uh, at least maybe talk to you or get an opinion on it. But tingling and, and, and stabbing pains and things is not unusual after surgery, uh, and we'd really be looking for the sort of things I'd be looking for is a bit of redness, swelling, you know, wound not healed up properly. These are the things that make me think. Hold on a minute. Do we need to do something? But if the wound's healed nicely, skin's not too red, it's not got any swelling, not really tender to the touch. If it's just sort of tingling and a bit of sharp pain when you're moving at night, it doesn't sound too worrying to me. But, you know, it's my view. Disclaimer. Olivia, I had a drain after a gastric sleeve for four days, but not much came out. Was a pain in the neck carrying it about? Yeah. So no one likes drains, Olivia. No one likes drains. Um, we try to use them less and less, but we'd still use them for some ops. But yeah, they are a bit of a pain. Um, and sometimes not much comes out. You think, what was the point of that? Sometimes a lot comes out, but it does help to encourage tissues to sort of stick together. Uh, certainly in terms of the tummy tucks and things like that, not so much for the gastric sleeve. But Well, I said this, that was the last question. I think that was the last question. I'm out of questions. Was it me or was that a belter? Uh, tell me, tingly pains. That was an ask question. That was a belter. So, hope that was helpful. How many days in quarantine are we? Where's my, where's my widget? How many days? I don't know how many days. It's not 23, is it? Huh? Be six? Nah, it's not that much, is it? 36. 36 days in quarantine. I don't know. How many is it? Um... What's that? What's your temperature? Oh, I don't know. 37.1. That's it. Normal temperature. <laughs> um, good. Thank you all. Thank you all for coming. Thank you for your uh, input, your questions. If you have any questions, feel free to get yourself on the Facebook, get yourself on the message. This is also going out. I want to big up the podcast subscribers i want to big you guys up you're unsung heroes because you don't comment on the facebook because you're out there in the world listening to your podcast i don't know about you i'm using to less to podcast now because i'm not in the car so much but if you are a podcast listener of the styano what's it called the styano clinic podcast is it or styano plastic surgery anyway the podcast this goes on the podcast um so uh big yourself up and feel free to get onto facebook and ask me a question um, oh, Natalie, positive news. Some NHS services are resuming, hoping plastic surgery follows next. 
Yes, they are, aren't they, Natalie? And that is good. And I think plastic surgery will follow behind. And I, we're very hopeful. And as I say, we are preparing for the comeback. We are definitely preparing for that. It was a belter. Thanks, JJ. It could be four weeks in lockdown. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we are definitely preparing for the comeback. And I am going to go and get the uh, kettle on for a Horlicks. And I suggest you do the same. I will see you same time same place next Tuesday night. Be there or do something else, but preferably be there. Checking myself out of here. Thank you all. Thank you for the wonderful comments, the questions. Loving it. Keep it coming. Keep it coming. But right now I'm stopping the stream. The stream is being stopped. Have a question not covered in today's show? Then send it over to info at styanoplasticsurgery.co.uk using the hashtag AskJJ. We'd love to hear from you.